Thank you, Josh. You may be seated, and uh, so glad to have you here this morning for this service of worship. My name is Doug Baker. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, Charles, good to see you in worship. Chris and Christy, glad you guys are here, and the family and friends are with you. So again, just uh, good to be with you as we start a new sermon series today, and I uh, want to welcome those that are online watching us this morning as well, and those will be watching later. We're just glad that you're joining in, uh, following us along on this new series, Hospitality of the Body of Christ. It's kickoff Sunday here at Marvin Church, and that simply means that uh, that uh, we are past Labor Day, school has gotten started, a lot of us have gotten done with vacations and getting back into the routines of life. We want church to be a major routine of your life. We want you here every Sunday because we believe God is here doing something very special at Marvin Church. We're excited. We've been working for the last year on our strategic plan, bringing everything into alignment, We've been working on a discipleship pathway to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and so I wanted to I'll be talking about that a little bit this morning in my message as well. And now we're going to be working on hospitality because it's very much a, poor, a part of what we will be doing as a church as we make disciples uh, for Jesus Christ. So again, we're glad that you are here and will you pray with me? Lord, uh, in these moments, may you just work through this message. May you speak into our hearts. Will you hide me behind the cross? Anoint the words that are shared here as your word is proclaimed. Lord, may you be at work in our lives, moving us forward in our relationship with Jesus Christ, moving us forward as a church as we make disciples to change the world for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've got an image that I want to put up on the screen, and that is this uh, merging railroad tracks, because I think we could be thinking about this idea that, uh, you know, uh, we're starting this hospitality series, and it's kind of a, a parallel track to what we've been doing as a church for the last year, which is this idea of really, our, our you know, our mission is to call people uh, to a relationship with Jesus Christ, equip them for acts of service, and then to send them out into the world. But our vision is that we'll be growing disciples uh, to share the, the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. And the reveal survey that we have been working on and has been now uh, presented to the church on several occasions, our whole Wednesday night and, and midweek programming is designed to get you to be moving. And again, so that we're all talking the same language, we're talking about if you are inquiring about Christ, uh, getting to know Christ, we want to be able to bring you in through worship, bring you in through Sunday school, get you connected to very important people. We want to move you to growing in Christ. And if you are growing in Christ, we want to move you to being close to Christ. And there's uh, classes, classes that will be doing that. This brochure it will help point out what those classes might be that if you're growing and you want to become closer to Christ, uh, you can get this at the Welcome Center. Uh, and then if you are uh, close to Christ, we want to move people to a, this is the ultimate goal. We want to have a Christ-centered life. Amen. We want to have our lives centered on Jesus. Jesus Christ. And that's what we're doing as a church. So that is kind of the main track that's running now here at Marvin Church. That's what we are about. We are about moving people to a Christ-centered life with lots of classes, worship, opportunities to help you do that. And now we're we're at, we have this track of hospitality, but it's not going to run parallel. It's going to merge into 
because uh, John Wayne and I were having a conversation this past week about this isn't something separate. Hospitality is not something we're going to work on for a month as a church. Hospitality is critical to our mission to making disciples for Jesus Christ. We've got to welcome people well. We need to let them feel connected as they come into our body of Christ. And as they get connected, not only to God, they'll be also connecting to one another. We know that God dwells in our midst, and that's where we're kind of heading with the message today as we grow in Christ together. So the big picture idea is this. God is the greatest host. Amen? God is the greatest host. He has got a vision, though he started with a small group of people that we now call the Jewish population. He has now expanded that to the world. God's vision is to bring all people together under Jesus Christ, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he does this with his great hospitality of coming to earth for us, dying on the cross for us, and then uh, rising again to glory and coming and dwelling in the Christian believer. And so that is the, the big picture, God as greatest host, helping us move towards his great love. And then as we make room for him in our hearts, as he is our God and Christ dwells in our hearts through faith and we make room and we become hosts to Christ, guess what? God dwells in us. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We have a new citizenship. We become citizens of heaven, right? And then also we, uh, we not only are citizens and we belong to Christ, but the most important thing, God is dwelling in us. So anytime you're out outside these walls in the world, you're representing Jesus Christ, and uh, people can see Christ in you. People can come to know Christ through you. And that's the greater vision here. All because we have a great God who's a great host. So let's start with the definition of hospitality. This actually comes from an old thing called a dictionary. How many of you still have a dictionaries around? I mean, now we just write. We uh, get on our iPhones and we put in a word and we have all these uh, definitions that come up. But here's a great, this comes from Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. And it's this, hospitality is the practice of welcoming guests, visitors, or strangers with liberty and goodwill. So we are the practice of welcoming our guests, our visitors in our midst, those that are strangers to us, and we do this liberally. We do this with great love and great compassion, and we do it with goodwill, which means what? We desire for the others that are coming into this presence, these guests and these strangers that we do not know yet, we want God's best for them, amen? We want God's best for them. That's kind of a, a general definition of hospitality. Now, I'm going to pull a little Greek out of my pocket for you because pastors like to quote Greek words every now and then. And uh, we learned how to speak a little bit of Greek in, in seminary. We get to uh, show it off to you. But the word is philoxenia. And philo, you might remember Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Philo is love. It's one of the, the loves. It's a brotherly love. But philoxenia means uh, Philo, love, and Zeno, stranger, simply means love for the stranger. So I want you to think with me for a moment. Uh, the people that are sitting maybe beside you are good friends in the youth group. Maybe they're good friends uh, that are your neighbors. Or you think about uh, good college uh, friends or college roommates. At one time in your life, those people were strangers to you right? There was a day you walked onto your college campus and maybe you met someone for the very first time and you introduced yourself to them and uh, maybe they became like one of your lifelong friends. Or maybe you married them, right? They became your, your spouse because uh, they were a stranger at one time. You were drawn to their beauty or their, you were attracted to them. You got to know them, at the, but you went from stranger into now they're your spouse, 
or you've had close acquaintances at work that now have become good friends, or, or people in your Sunday school class. There was a day when you walked into your Sunday school class or walked onto this campus at Marvin Church, and for the very first time, you were a stranger maybe coming into the midst, but now as you're making friendships, you're beginning to really find that love connection, that, that joy that we find within the body of Christ. It all starts with the stranger, and that's that sense of, of the welcome that makes things happen. So uh, hospitality matters because when we show hospitality to others, a lot of times uh, we begin to build relationships that become very important in our lives. And so I just kind of want to share uh, two s- similar stories, but a little, little bit different. Uh, one is when I, uh, about three years ago, uh, our first granddaughter was born in Atlanta, Georgia, to Brian and Kirsten. And uh, we drove, we found out she was in labor, we drove the 20 hours, we got there just in time, an hour and a half before delivery, and we welcomed McKinley into our lives, and that was on a Friday evening, she was born like at 9 or 10 o'clock at night, or, and we got there, and then, and then the very next uh, Saturday was the kind of day we got to visit her again, but then Sunday morning they were checking out, so we didn't go to the hospital Sunday morning, so I decided Passion Church, maybe you've heard of Passion Church, and been to a Passion Conference, I said, I got to see this church, I'd love to go and worship there. 5,000 people in this old, uh, it wasn't old, it had been remodeled, refurbished, Home Depot building, right? I walk into this huge auditorium, and uh, before I even get into the building, but I'm greeted at the, at the uh, you know, in the parking lot, I'm greeted at the doors, and I get in my spot, and I'm sitting, I'm here all by myself. Uh, I went to church, Gina stayed back, and, and uh, the beautiful thing happened. This young couple sat down next to me, and uh, they reached right over, and they said, hey, this is, we're so-and-so, and and, uh, tell us who you are. And I told them, I said, well, I'm here to celebrate the birth of my first granddaughter. And they said, hey, do you have pictures? Oh yeah, I got pictures. I pulled out my phone, I'm showing them the pictures. And you know what, the worship began to start. And what happened? I felt like I had friends. I wasn't worshiping alone in a sanctuary of 5,000 people. I was, I was with friends. I felt comfortable. And so that was the reaching out, the hospitality just shown all the way as I entered into that worship space. That's the vision. That's what we want to have happening here on this campus. And a different story, back in my first appointment at Memorial Drive Church in Houston, Gina and I were there, and we'd been there probably about maybe almost a year, and she was eight months pregnant at the time, and, and uh, she entered into the 11 o'clock service coming from Sunday school, and she was trying to find a place to get into a full sanctuary. You know, people tend to sit on the, on the aisles and on the ends. And so she was trying to figure out a way to get in and she kind of kind of got overwhelmed and maybe this was the hormones of being pregnant, but she shared this story again with me last night. She felt very much alone in a sanctuary of about 700 people she felt very much alone. So she walked out. We lived in a parsonage right by the church. She walked back to the parsonage and found herself on the sofa in tears just crying because she felt so very much alone in a church of 8,000 members, right? But then God, she said, kind of came over her and comforted her with a message that he cares about her and he loves her. And then she'd share with me these words last night. She felt as if uh, now you can maybe empathize or have compassion because God was saying to her, I want my house to feel welcoming. And so when people come to my house, I don't want ever anyone to feel alone, right? Right? 
And so what a blessing that she felt God comfort her and speak to her about the newcomer and the importance, again, of hospitality and welcoming. So we're going to do something. We're going to look at this passage from Ephesians today. John Wayne and I are preaching the same passages. And we're going to start at kind of the back end, which is listed in the bulletin. That's the main text we're going to look at. Then I'm going to jump back and I'm going to kind of get some background to it. So if you've got your Bibles and Ephesians, I want to read to you, first of all, Ephesians 2, 19 through 21. Listen now to God's word. Consequently, so here you know we're at the end of the story. Consequently, Paul says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, that big part that everything else aligns. In him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Christ, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. So Lord, we just know that this is this is just a church building, but you are in Christ are the place in which God dwells. And as we come together and worship this morning, we pray. The most important prayer we could be praying right now is God be in the midst of this place so that people encounter you here as we worship you. So Ephesians 2, 19 through 21. So we're no longer foreigners or strangers. We're God's people. We're God's family. His household. We're built together. We're a holy temple. So citizens, members of the family, a holy temple. So just let those words resonate because a lot of times we think we're pastors, realtors, doctors, we're retired, we're grandparents, we're young moms and dads, or we're single parents, whatever you think you are. But let me tell you, remind you this morning, you are a part of God's family. You have a citizenship that is beyond the United States of America. And then there may be some others that are not, not U.S. citizens here, but you are beyond that. You are citizens of the kingdom of God. All right, and also you are a part of this temple which in which God dwells. So who heard this message uh, when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians? Well, they were the people of Ephesus, okay? The people of Ephesus. So Ephesus is a, is a port village there in Asia Minor along the Aegean Sea, and there are lots of inland. So if you think about Paul going to Ephesus, and then there are other areas, small towns that go as you go inland. So think about Paul as coming to Ephesus, and this is his third missionary journey. It's probably in the, around the 50, mid-50s AD that Paul is making his third missionary journey. And, and the beautiful thing is Paul spends two years there, two years building out not only the church at Ephesus, but building the churches that are in the inland regions as people are there coming and hearing, coming to the Ephesus, getting probably their, they're doing their marketing, they're buying their things and going to the port town, they're hearing of the gospel, they're taking it back, the church is growing. And you know what he's saying? God has brought into his family the Gentiles, Right? There, may, there was a Jewish synagogue. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. There was a Jewish synagogue in Ephesus, but it was very small, right? There were some of those who had been dispersed, those Jews who had their little synagogue. But mostly we're talking about a very pagan village, a, very, a place where Artemis, the goddess Artemis, if you know your Greek mythology, she, she was, they had a big temple there. And so the people there primarily in that area are, are people who worship pagan gods. So... As we think about this, we're going to go back and pick up 
the backstory. Okay, so here's the backstory. If you've got your Bibles open, if you've got your app open, we're going to now pick up Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. Here's the rest of the story. Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Now, Paul understands this because he was a Jew. He would have been circumcised, but he knew that these Gentiles had been deemed by the Jews in that community the uncircumcised. Do you hear the derogatory, uh, divisive language here? Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, you were without hope and without God in the world. So there's the context of who they were beforehand. But now, key verse, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself what? One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. And through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. There's the beautiful backstory of who the Gentiles were. Let's unpack that just a little bit. Consequently, he says, you are no longer foreigners, you're no longer strangers to God. You know, you are, you are now God's people. You are now a part of what God is doing and you've been grafted in to God's story. So think of this uh, Gentile region. Uh, think about, uh, if you want to read the backstory of Acts, of how Paul got to Ephesus, and you want to hear about him showing up at the synagogue, get Acts 18 and 19. You can read that this afternoon. Uh, he, goes to, uh, he goes to Ephesus. He shows up in the synagogue for three weeks. And he tries to convince the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah and they kick him out of there, right? And so he finds himself a preaching hall uh, that was run by a guy named Tyrannus and for two years in that region, he preached Christ and the gospel spread. But what was the backdrop of all this? You heard it. You guys were the uncircumcised. You guys, the Jews looked down on you. There was this great division. You felt like the Jews had a storyline. They had the law, they had, they had hope for a Messiah, and you had this Artemis god, of goddess, and of fertility, and a big temple, and a very hollow religious system. But you were excluded from Israel's promises, excluded from the law, and excluded, as I said, from the Messiah. And uh, if you were to go, I'm going to put up a picture of the temple that was in Jerusalem. Now, this isn't the synagogue that they would have had in Ephesus. But if you went and they made pilgrimage to Jerusalem, you would have seen that what? Where are the Gentiles? They're on the outside. So if you were a proselyte, if you had come into the faith as a seeker of Judaism, if you had come in, you found yourself on the outside. You had the court for the men, for the women, but you found yourself on the very outside, on the outskirts. But this is what I want to show you. So you see the outside court of uh, Gentiles. I've got an image of a, of a placard that was on this space. You can see it here on the screen. This is uh, on the outside by the court of Gentiles, preventing a Gentile from entering into the place of where the women and the men would go. 
And it said this, no foreigner may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall, be, shall he put blame for the death which will ensue. So it basically is a no trespassing sign that says this. If you cross this line, if you enter into this court, you will die. And you can thank yourself for that. That's what this sign says. And so what we're seeing here is this great division, this great uh, separatism that was between the Jews and the Gentiles. In fact, as the Jews and Gentiles lived in the community, if you were a good faithful Jew and a Gentile crossed your path, if you were, and they you know, wore robes those days, if you were walking, you would lift your robes so as not to defile yourself when you crossed the path that that Gentile had just walked over. There was, that's the attitude that they had. Also, if, uh, if a woman was a Gentile and was in labor and you were a good Jew, you were not to go help that woman deliver that baby because in a way you would bring another pagan Gentile into the world. In fact, some Jews would go as far to say that uh, uh, Gentiles were the firewood by which God kept the, the burning burnings of hell, the fire of hell going. What a great way to think of your neighbor, right? These Gentiles. But Christ was going to bring unity. Christ was going to make something all new. And this is where we're going to see a language shift in our scripture where Paul says, formerly, you were foreigners and strangers and outsiders. You were not welcome. But now, but now in Christ, things have changed. So I just want to stop right there for a second and want you to think in your mind those words, formerly, but now. What is your formerly but now story? Formerly, there was a time when I didn't want anything to do with the church. My, church, I, my family had become unchurched at age five. So from age five to 15, I didn't want to have anything to do. Formerly, my story would be that when my friends started doing Sunday, uh, said, decided their families were going to church, I was kind of upset because I like to engage in sports on Sunday. And my friends uh, were so, well, we're going to church this Sunday. Well, well, what am I supposed to do, man? We're supposed to play ball uh, on Sunday morning, right? No. So I was kind of a, a opposed to people going to church in my youthful days. But, but then at age 15, a friend invited me, showed great hospitality, took me to the youth group and, invited, and introduced me to his friends. And some of his friends became my very best friends even today. Again, because of the hospitality extended to me, who was a stranger, a newcomer, who walked into an MYF group in that day of probably uh, 150 to 200 kids, not knowing anybody but my friend David, who had brought me there. So friends, formally, and then about six weeks later at a youth event, when the gospel was preached... I felt conviction in my heart to say yes to Jesus Christ and to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. And me, who was a foreigner to God, me, who was a stranger to God, me, who was an enemy of God, according to Romans uh, 5.10, my sin had made me an enemy to God because of the hospitality, because of the love of that youth group, because of where God was leading me, I said yes and Therefore, but now my life is different. So I want to uh, go back to Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. There's this phrase, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So I'm just going to stop right there just to say there were two ways that the Gentiles would have heard that. When somebody came into the Jewish 
tradition has, had been a Gentile, decided that they were a God-fearer, that they wanted to go through the mikvah bath, that they wanted to be circumcised as an adult male, and they wanted to embrace the law. They were, they were what were called brought near. That meant when they went into the synagogue, there was the side for the men, there was a side for the women, and then there was the back, 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 back part of the synagogue where those who had been brought near, the Gentiles were able to come and hear the law read. They were not brought closely. They were brought near, but not that close. Also, there's a beautiful, that same wordplay that I think Paul's making with, with this idea of being brought near was the word that was used, and I would say it in Greek, but I'm going to slaughter it. I'll try it anyway. Prosagtue, prosagtue, which was a person who, if you wanted to have an appointment with a, an official, if you wanted to meet a government leader or a statesperson, if you wanted to meet the king, it was the prosotue who would actually bring you into the presence of the king, bring you near to the king or to that state official where you could plead your case or make, uh, make your statement or whatever appointment business you have with them. And isn't that beautiful? What Paul's saying is through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are brought near. We are brought into the presence of the King, Jesus the Christ. We are brought through really by Christ into the presence of God to whom we are created and who loves us. And so all that is to say that as the scripture says, not only are we brought near, but Jesus Christ is our peace. As the scripture reads on, let me read uh, verses 15 and 16, it talks about, uh, by setting aside in the flesh the law, the commands, and the regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile. And that word reconcile means to take those that are at odds with each other and make amends and bring them back into harmony. He reconciled both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He preached peace to you who are far away, peace to those who are near, and brought him to those both have access to the Father by one spirit. So whether they were Jews or Gentiles now, they're not elevating one above the other. They are all brought into God's presence through the love of Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of what this passage is saying to us. And I don't know about you, but do you feel like this is just so beautiful to hear in our world today in the United States where we feel so divided on so many issues? So much division on, on vaccines and so much division about abortion, so much division about uh, now of Afghanistan and a division about racial issues and just so many different things that can divide us. And what Paul is saying is here, we are brought together by Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, what I, as I kind of come back to where we started, and this is kind of where we're going to kind of land this, this, because this word consequently, and coming back to verse 19 again, consequently, no longer foreigners, strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of the household built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, and Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is being joined together and becomes a holy temple. So there's three words that we're going to kind of revisit as we kind of bring closure to this. We are fellow citizens, right? We are fellow citizens, members of God's household, and a holy temple. So I don't know about you, but I am grateful to be a citizen of the United States of America. 
And I think that if you get to a feeling where you are unhappy, and certainly we have our problems and our world is broken, and there's a lot of challenges that we're facing right now as a country, but try going to another country, right? Not to just go stay in some resort and visit on an island and have people serve you. Go, go live with the people. Go do a mission trip in a third world country and begin to understand the struggles of life in that country and the rights of people and the, the things that they don't have and the food choices they don't have and the clean water that they don't have and you begin to appreciate being a citizen. But what I want to remind everybody today is we are more than citizens of this country. We are citizens of heaven. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven. So I want to ask you a question. I was prompted to these questions by Skip Heitzig and, a, and something I read of his about uh, whether or not you feel like you're a citizen or not. Here are some questions. He says, how do you feel around other Christians? And I would say that back when I was age 15 before conversion to Christ, I felt uncomfortable around other Christians. But now that I have crossed that threshold of faith, I love Christians. I may not always agree with every Christian, right, on certain issues, but I love them. And I have been in Africa, right, in two different countries of Africa, and I have been on U.S. Navy vessels where I have been with people that are very different and there are beliefs than me. But when I find a Christian, there is a kindred love and spirit there. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced that before where you meet another Christian and you feel connected to them rather than appalled by them or offended by them? And that kind of is a way of knowing your citizenship is beyond this broken world, but it's our citizenship is in heaven. Do you, uh, are you uh, conforming to the laws? So one of the other things to think about is as U.S. citizens, if I was to just go out and begin to do what I want to do and follow my own rules and I don't care what the rules of the land are, how long would it be before I'd have to start a prison ministry, right? Right? Because uh, you can't go along with breaking the rules and doing all you want to do. We have to, we have to follow the laws as citizens. We follow the laws of the land. Whether some of the challenges we agree or disagree, we follow the laws of the land. Let me ask you to turn it on this. As a citizen of heaven, are you following the teachings of Jesus Christ? Is your greatest desire to be close to Christ? Is your greatest desire to, to live your life in such a way that you're becoming more like Christ? And if you say yes to that, your citizenship is in heaven. Your gaze is beyond this world. I was talking to Gina last night. She said, you know, I feel like I'm a citizen of heaven most times when I feel disappointed by what the world has to offer. And we see the brokenness of our world. We see the depravity and the sin of our world. We see the way in which our world is struggling and the many challenges we have. And we realize this is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. Are we members of God's household? We talked about this last night as well. Gene and I were discussing, what does it mean to be a member of God's household? What does it mean to be a member of the Baker household, right? What does it mean to be a part of the Martin household, Right? You know, the household should be a place where you feel loved, right? What does it mean to be a part of the Gwen household where you're supported by your spouse and the kids come home to their father, Andy, and they feel like this is a safe place. 
This is a place where I can be supported and encouraged and if need to be reprimanded, right? This is a place that there are, there are family rules and there is love and support and boundaries. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God. And there are responsibilities because not only does mom and dad do everything, the children begin to have chores to help support the family and such is the church. As the church is God's household, we must take responsibility to step in and do various things. This wonderful luncheon we're about ready to receive and be blessed by, there's been many people who've stepped in like our moms often do in the kitchen and our dads who are out there grilling who have done the work today to set up the tables to allow us and people, you know, I want to just watch us all serve in the room. It's going to be a great joy. That comes with being a part of the household. And lastly, what does it mean to be a holy temple? 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says, we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will live with them and I will walk with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So a dwelling place, a temple where God in the Old Testament dwelled in the presence. His presence was there as we, the body of Christ, become his temple on earth. God dwells in our midst. When you walk out of this room today and you go to your neighborhood, when you go to volleyball practice, when you go back to your school, wherever you go, you take God with you because God dwells in you. You take the gospel of Christ with you because God is, we are the temple that now goes out everywhere. And let me just say this in closing. Actor Nicolas Cage, I don't think is not a great theologian, not, a, not a, probably an example of a great Christian to follow. I'm just quoting a quote he, he shared that I read about recently. He says, I wonder if there is a hole in the soul of my generation. We inherited the American dream, but we don't know where to take it. Well, friends, I'm here to say to you all in this room as Christian believers, life is more than the American dream. God has not called you to the American dream. God has called you to citizenship in God's kingdom. God's called you to be a part of his family and to draw support and encouragement and love and, and nurturing and education from his family. And God has also, you, also called you to be his temple, to be his hands and to be his, his de deployment out into a broken and hurting world where he dwells in our midst through our faith in Christ. So friends, when we talk about hospitality, Hospitality, especially in the body of Christ, it is people. It has to be the people that, that help make hospitality be what it can be so that with hospitality, God can call us to be all that he has called us to be. It's interrelated. It's a part of making disciples, and that's why hospitality matters. Such an important message to share with you as we launch our campaign. Hospitality come is birthed by the vision of a God who wants all to come and bow the knee before Jesus Christ and find the life that he can truly give. I hope that that's uh, a message that you hear and embrace today as Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior.